fellow Earthlings, and welcome to the Big Chew Podcast. I'm your host, Maria Stockholm. Here at the Big Chew, one way or the other, we get around to asking that question, how do we live on Earth without the stupid? What can science tell us? What can spirit tell us? So, grab a bite. Let's masticate. Earthlings, today I'm really happy to be talking with herbalist Julie Mitchell, who practices here in Vermont. She's studied with some of the great herbalists like Rosemary Gladstar, and she also got her BS and MS in herbal medicine from the University of Wales. We're going to talk about how she got into herbalism because I'm always interested in how people find their path, especially if it's a little off the beaten one. We're also going to talk about how to get to know your plant allies. Goethean science, the poet Goethe, was very into plants. And then I'm going to ask, well, hey, if you could go back in time, who would you kill? So think about that. Okay, so please welcome Julie Mitchell. So Julie, um, how did you get interested in herbal medicine in the first place? It really started when I was in my early 20s. I I grew up in a city from Michigan in Lansing, so I wasn't really exposed to the herbal world until I left when I was young, and I ended up in New Jersey, of all places. Hey! It's a good place. I'm There's from some... New Jersey. Where did you wind up in New Jersey? I, I ended up in Princeton. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, and I ended up living there and working uh, as a waitress. And um, I found this job, another apprenticeship job, was on the bulletin board at the laundromat looking for an apprentice to help uh, this particular woman um, with her dye pots. She was a spinner of uh, natural fibers and would do natural dyes. But what I learned was uh, really the beginnings, I think, of the herbal medicine, which was learning what plants look like when they first came out of the ground Mm -hmm. and what they could be used for. And her focus was uh, the the dye uh, pots and the colors that she could get from the plants themselves. But what were some of the of, plants that you used for that? Do you remember? Oh well, the ones that I remember off the top of my head, there were things like logwood and black walnut and goldenrod. Uh, I remember collecting loosestrife mm-hmm. and milkweed and onion skins and, oh, matter, and cochineal, which was actually from an insect, um, which wasn't really was that, from the that part of the world. I'm sorry? You get a red from that? You do. In fact, it's, it, and I think they still put it in um, the red grapefruit juice that you buy from Ocean Spray. They oh, put gross. Cochineal in so there. it's like grapefruit now with bugs. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> anyway, so that really kind of opened my eyes to plants. It was really exciting to think that you can identify a plant by just seeing it. First poke, it's two leaves out of the ground. People knew what the plants were. I go, well, how do you do that? So that was that was planting the seed, so to speak, making me realize that um, plants could do many different things. And 
there right. w- there weren't the structures there to educate people on herbalism, right? Yeah, there was definitely a dry time. I would consider it a very dry time, um, a real transitional time, where the the information that perhaps your grandmother would have had was being, you know, passed away. Your grandmother's or would pass away, and that knowledge would be gone. Or mm-hmm. You know, people were very excited about the whole idea of a pharmaceutical (laughs) and using pharmacy uh, as the pills. Better living through chemistry. You got it. And these people now who are uh, the leaders in the herbal world, you know, they're getting into their 60s and 70s now. And they have started a revolution, really, I consider a revolution of sorts of spreading the word and people becoming very excited like I became and where it is now it's still an amazing transition that's occurring I think but you know at that time there wasn't much around Mm -hmm. at all so in order for you to study herbal medicine you had to go abroad right at that time yeah I found myself in Vermont in about 1980 my next teacher really was Kevin Harper I can, and his wife, Cheyenne. They started Autumn Harp, which was a company of making, they made comfrey salve and lip balm in their uh, barn in, in uh, Ripton. Mm-hmm. They learned from a gentleman named John Christopher, who was from Utah. He's written a book called The Book of Natural Healing and was a very well-known herbalist out west. So I to Cheyenne and she said well you know the best thing to do is to start gathering the plants and doing pressings of them and then you have your own you know plant herbarium and so I did that I got books on how to identify plants and I would go out and just try and teach myself what the plants were that were growing around us here in Vermont Mm-hmm. I was a beginning gardener at that point, so I was trying to grow as many things as I could. To me, that was a real learning in that I could, you know, if I could grow it and see it in the ground and watch it go from a seed to um, a mature plant, have a fruit and then gather it or whatever, you know, I was doing it, that to me was uh, a great learning. And, and mm-hmm. I took a course from Dr. Cayenne. <clears throat> who was Richard Schultz, and he also was a student of John Christopher's. And he had become what he called an herbalist to the, to the stars. He Ooh. was in Hollywood. Herbalist <laughs> <laughs> to stars. So his introduction was more making plant medicines and kind of the very beginnings of putting it into a more of a structure of herbalism that that was exciting to me because it was there was a logic to it mm-hmm. versus mine just kind of a scattering of trying to figure out how to do it you know then I was looking for a teacher and there wasn't anybody around there wasn't any teachers and then I had heard about the California Institute of Herbal Studies um, and that was Rosemary Gladstar's school right. I was married at the time and I just didn't feel like I could uproot myself and go. And then a year later, she moved to Vermont. Um, kind of amazing that 
I, I asked for something and it came to me, you know. Funny how that happens, yeah. Yeah, it is. The universe answered. And so Rosemary moved to Vermont, and that was in 1986, 87, and I took her first apprenticeship program. certain seasons are there certain times do you that you harvest plants according to any other kind of earth cycles that are are uh, beneficial well yes actually the seasons um are in part important to um to the harvesting of of, of plants and so it's really uh, a very commonsensical approach. You're thinking about the part of the plant that you want to gather, and you're thinking about where the energy of that plant is going. So, you know, all the energy is is in the root when it's wintertime. Let's say it's a perennial plant, right? And it goes underground, goes, goes to sleep for the winter. So all the energy of the plant's in that root. Mm-hmm. So in the spring and the fall, when the plant, the upper part of the plant dies back and that energy goes back into the root, that's probably the best, that would be the best time to really do, to collect that plant. Mm-hmm. So I think about, you know, any of your roots um, will be stronger in the spring or the fall. Now you mean like early spring before the plant starts putting up its right. parts? Right. So having being familiar with the plant and all its growing season, right? Knowing what it looks like before it maybe the first leaf comes out of the ground, mm-hmm. you know, <clears throat> that's important. And uh, so the seasonal cycles is in terms of uh, gathering the leaves. You want to gather the leaves before before the plant flowers. So <clears throat> that would be in the spring, early spring or late spring before the the energy of the plant goes into making that flower. Mm-hmm. The flower, of course, you'd want to probably gather <clears throat> in the summer or right before it blooms or as it's blooming is ideal and so forth. That's kind of the idea. Mm-hmm. So the seasons are important. Knowing what your plant is, is it an annual plant where it's only going to live for one year and die back? Is it a biennial where it <clears throat> only puts up its leaves the first year? goes back into the ground, and then the second year will flower, so it'll send up its flower stalk. So if you're going to gather that biennial and you want the root, you'd want to gather that in the first year in the fall or the second year in the spring. Mm -hmm. I don't really gather much in the winter other than something like pine sap, Mm -hmm. you know, um, which is easier to gather in the wintertime. But... And then in the spring, again, if once coming into the spring, I'm thinking of barks. You know, mm-hmm. if you're going to gather a bark, you want to do it when the sap rises. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, yeah, seasons are, are very important. What about know. phases of the moon? 
well, I mean, if you are able to follow the moon cycles, I, I think you would benefit from having a stronger medicine if you're gathering it, um, if you're gathering the anything that you, like a juicy green plant, so the water is being drawn towards the outside of the plant in a full moon. Mm-hmm. And I haven't, I confess, I haven't really um, had the opportunity to gather plants in that way, but mm-hmm. it, it makes sense. It, there, there, there is a commonsensical approach to that. Mm-hmm. Could you explain what the constituents are when you're talking about herbal herbal medicine? Constituents are the are the um, are the chemical components of the plant. So one plant could have hundreds, if not thousands, of different components. So that would be, you know, labeled uh, the flavonoids or the tannins or the minerals that are in the plant. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's been there's like a database, James Duke's database. If you want to check that out, it's on. It's an easy one to Google, and he's actually done an amazing. Uh, job of dissecting plants and finding out all the different parts or components or chemical components of the plants that you can actually, you know, you know, look through and study, find out what plant has flavonoids in it, and it'll help you just write flavonoids in the database uh, uh, question, and all the plants that have those flavonoids are listed um, with uh, sequentially. Uh, how, you know, with most and to the least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. So that's, if that's what you're interested in, <laughs> are the constituents of plants, then that's one way to go. Um, if you're a medicine maker, it's kind of important to know what the constituents of plants are because you're extracting or using different parts or or, or many different uh um, if it's mainly or mostly uh, water-soluble parts that you want from the plant, you would use water as your menstruum or your base. So you'd mm-hmm. be using that as your tea or decoction. If it's, um, you know, there's different parts of plants that are best extracted through different menstruums or fluids or liquids. So like alcohol or That's correct. water yeah. or... Yeah. Yeah. Oils. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, glycerin. Um, yes, so all all those parts are important in in your medicine making. So it's not a random selection what you use to extract certain qualities or certain healing properties from the plants. It has it depends on what's the best way to um, hold that that constituent. Yeah, so there is a science to it, so science and an art. And I have to say it's an amazing um, uh, intuitive knowledge that 100 years ago people didn't know what the constituents of plants were, mm-hmm. but they were still extracting what they needed oftentimes um, correctly. So, you know, it's, I'm not sure how, how do people know that. And it's through using the plant and finding out whether or not if it was uh, efficacious or not. 
just to go back to the first book that I got on herbal medicine, which was the Maud Greaves books, which is called The Modern Herbal. Um, she speaks to uh, she, the way she arranges her Materia Medica and all the listing of the plants is she'll go through the constituents, she'll go through uh, where the plant grows or how it grows, she'll go into like the geographical areas that it's indigenous to, and then she'll go into the folk uh, medicine or the history of that plant, mm-hmm. and then she'll go into the more the modern uses. So, in, in and I'd have to say that all my education from Rosemary up to the um, graduate program did that also. So all that information was part part and parcel of learning about herbal medicine. The other aspect um, of the graduate program too was exploring your perception as an individual and the way you perceive medicine. So mm-hmm. it's like you're taking your own subjective, qualitative point of view of how you perceive the plants that you're working with. So it's your relationship with the plant. Mm-hmm. So that, to me, I think in a, almost it's kind of a throwback or kind of revisiting the roots of herbalism. Mm-hmm. I'd be able to, to uh, hone that skill of mm-hmm. plant perception. Do you develop an intuitive sense? Is that an important part of what you do? Or almost like a communication with the plant itself? Well, that's what I ideally would love to be able to say yes to. <laughs> Um, I think that, you know, it's, um, it is a relationship for sure to have your plant allies that you over time rely upon or, or you use the same plants over or the ones that grow near you, you use often, or you, it's very much of that, of that realm. It's a relationship of the plants. And I Mm -hmm. think that most herbalists, I would say, probably do that, that Mm -hmm. they, they have, cultivated their relationship with the herbs that they use. I know you had no you were talking about Stephen Buhner's books. Yeah. What yeah. do you think of him? Well he's he's a wonderful speaker, I can tell you that. Very um uh interesting guy. Um I appreciate his his books quite a bit. Especially the ones on the plant realm. Yeah. And he really believes that you know, plants communicate with people, like we were talking before about how, you know, how did people find out what certain what certain plants could do for them, and he totally disavows the notion that it was trial and error, and he used, I think, the example of, of yarrow, and how is... Uh, uh, it's uh, Achillea, Achillea nullifolium. Um so it was named uh, botanically after the um, the warrior Achilles, right. who used to use it in the fields to staunch wounds, right? Right. And he said that all these different cultures use that plant for the same reason. Yeah. And they yeah. wouldn't have had any contact with each other. And who's to say he's not right? You know, I yeah. don't. You know, I don't know quite how. You know who's you know the pharmaceutical companies are going to tell you <laughs> that, that that doesn't happen. Do you think that plants are sentient? Well, 
I, I think mean, that all I living things are sentient. Excuse I me? do. I do. Yeah. And so it's, it, you know, a plant is, is not a human being. They're not going to communicate with you in the same way that a, that a human being is going to communicate with you. It's a different being. It's a different, I do believe in it, though. I do believe, I do believe um, <laughs> that uh, plants are sentient. They can perceive so much. You know, you just think about the evolution of plants and the way what they can produce as far as to protect themselves from insects and, and animals when they're being eaten. They'll produce a tannin or they'll produce a more potent chemical uh, in the plant material so that they don't get eaten as often. And those are the plants that survive. And so there's a whole evolution that occurs there. Right. Don't they also communicate with other plants they so do. that in advance they can exude what they need to do to keep the pest away? And there's a whole mycorrhizal communication that's happening between plant to plant and the fungal. Right. Um, it's like the internet. Wild, yeah, just wild. So it's I I you know it's like it's beyond categorizing. I think that it's. I don't think we quite understand it quite yet. We're, we're working towards it, though. Gertian science. So, <laughs> yeah, so Gertian science. Gertian um, science, as in Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, the who's usually known for you know writing Faust or writing poetry, but he was an incredible polymath, and he had color theories and uh, and and so what was Gertian plant science about? Well. He he was definitely a poet. He was an ecstatic. He 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 developed a way of exploring the world, the green world, and his approach was through observation and drawing and painting and and once again developing a perception or understanding of the plant realm through through this. Through his organoleptic or his way of, of of our tools as humans of using these tools to perceive, and so what we have as as tools are our eyesight, our hearing, our taste, our smell, mm-hmm. and our touch. And so he was uh, alive during the time where the division of of the art and the science occurs. Mm-hmm. So Cartesian thinking where um, he was still exploring in, in more of a qualitative way versus a quantitative. He wasn't measuring. He was, right. although I have to say, part of, part of Gertian science too, as it's known now, 
is that it includes everything. It's not just the qualitative. But it's mostly at his time, he was exploring nature with his senses. So, and, you know, deeply enough so that um, hopefully he would able to intuit kind of an inherent phenomena of the plant or wholeness of the plant. I have a quote here from yeah. him where he said, natural objects should be sought and investigated as they are and not to suit observers, but respectfully as if they were divine beings. Yeah. And he felt that there wasn't, uh, and that, that your relationship was very subjective rather than objective, right? Right. So it's trying to honor the subjective where in science now um, it, that is not part or parcel at all of what science is. You know, sometimes when people uh, write fantasy novels or if you're having a discussion of if you could go back in time, who would you kill? <laughs> you know, and a, lot of <laughs> a lot of people talk about Hitler. You know, he's always the one who comes up. Oh, I would kill Hitler and, and save all those people from having to suffer like that. I would take out Rene Descartes. Yeah, I would have taken him out, you know, right. the whole dualism thing, the whole, right. I, th I think if, if I had been able to go back in time and take out Rene Descartes, the other people would probably not have had to take out Hitler. Because he might. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I mean, it definitely div it divided the world. It just divided the world into it's a duality that um, doesn't sustain. I, yeah. I totally agree. I never thought about that, but that's that's. But now really... you're thinking about it, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like it's, and that is where the difference between Gertian uh, approach versus a scientific approach would be. But you know, I feel like all. All parts are important. Too. Right. So my advice to people really is to find out for yourselves, you know, do your own plant study, sit with the plant for a while and find out what you find out, you know, see what, you know, if you can shut up for long enough or, you know, find a, a peaceful place in yourself to sit with anything, whether it's a plant or it's your dog or it's your child or, you know, you, you're going to start to perceive something and it's really hard to you know are you going to be able to be um, sterile in your thinking you know that's not really what you want you want to, it is a participatory science in the sense that you're participating in it but you're also able to observe and and have a, a view or a way of, of, of understanding I think that comes through through mm -hmm. your perception, whether it's subjective inner thought, you know, or <clears throat> whether it's what you're seeing and measuring, right? So you would go into it with an intention, correct? Right. With the Gertian study, and when I did it, I did it with Mullen, I did it with, um, when I went to Spain during the uh, master's degree, and, and we, I did it with Olive, and I've all, also done it with a couple of other plants, but my intention always is for me as an herbalist, I'm asking my inherent question is what is the medicine of this plant or what, what would you offer as medicine for, for a human being, you know, mm -hmm. and that's it. I find that's helpful because it's a direction. It so you get a little more focused. In right. Yeah. 
So, and when, when, say, if you ask that question of a plant, how do you know when you're getting an answer? How does that feel to you? Right. Well, I can only tell you what I was able to perceive through the studies that I've done. And so in the Gertian approach, it's um, starting with that intention and then the process also including the fact-finding aspects of it, like following the, what is the phenomena observed and what are the measurements that are made. And then having, um, allowing yourself to have an imagination, mm-hmm. imagining kind of the growth process of the plan and using your imagination to connect to different stages of the plan and recognizing kind of the gesture of the plan in the sense of what you perceive it to be. And, and then it's allowing all that information to come to a point of fruition where it's kind of an aha moment. Mm-hmm where you become one with the plant, it's kind of a resonate, uh, resonating with the plant, you know, mm-hmm. and then uh, having an idea. So what happened with, for instance, with Mullen is um, I actually did a plant study by myself, but I also did a plant study with, I included five people that weren't herbalists mm-hmm. and had them study the plant with me throughout the one day we did it. It was amazing the information that they came up with Mm -hmm. and as far as what they perceived the plant to be and a lot of it I mean I I didn't want to influence them at all because I already kind of knew what Mullen was used for but the things that they were able to come up with I can I can quote to you what they were Mm-hmm. One person said, softening the inner fibers of the body with strength and fluidness, making for strong veins of life and breath divine, healing inner parts of the body. Another person said, promotes good breathing and structural integrity, specifically for in- impotence and to build self-confidence. Mm-hmm. One person said, structural support, but fluid. Another one said, supporting passageways, breathing. And then another person said, for self-confidence, holds water, could support the holding of water. And knowing that I've used mullen for uh, mullen root, specifically for um, bladder incontinence. Mm -hmm. So that speaks to holds water, could support the holding of water. Mm -hmm. It's used for... um, um, pain um, as an anodyne to help um, to, it has actually a very uh, wonderful ability to kind of relieve pain. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure it's... Topically or if you ingest it? uh, Both. Mm -hmm. Either. It's specific for respiratory uh, treatment. Right. So if you think of some of the things that we're talking about promotes good breathing and structural integrity... Um, it's an absorbent, so it's just kind. Of, it was very cool that <laughs> they came up with all of these ideas mm-hmm. of the medicine of the plant, and it does correlate with the actual use of the plant. So to me, that was very reaffirming. Huh. Uh, so they they actually these were people who didn't necessarily have preconceived notions, and yet they were picking up on. Their what own, the plant was about. 
yeah, what their perceptions were. And part of the day was sitting with the plant and drawing it, writing about it, um, and then coming back and discussing it. And so it was very much, uh, it was very, uh, it was a very interesting process. It said to me, yeah, this is definitely a possibility of a way to perceive if you allow yourself the time. <laughs> right. Do and, it. Right? And for listeners who don't know what mullein is, I'll have a picture of it in the in the program notes. It's a very upright plant with a stalk <laughs> yes. of yellow flowers, right? Yes, and so yes, it has. Um, there's a lot of different purposes for this, and that's the wonderful thing about plants. They're multi-use, many different uses for the for the plant. So yes, it has this beautiful little yellow uh, flower. Yeah. Well, listen, Julie, this has been great fun as always. It's always interesting to talk to you. Well, I appreciate. I think I appreciate you asking me to do this. I, I don't think know. you do. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to herbalist Julie Mitchell for all that great information. If you'd like to know more about some of the books she mentioned or some of the date herbal databases, check out the show notes at meetyourmyth.com and click on the Big Chew podcast. Go out and get to know some plants. Get to know your own plants better. Thanks. Bye.